Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Yeah. 
Give it up for Kara. In life, what's been happening is, I believe, our, what I call our Christian society is having an identity crisis. And as we go into our season of Thanksgiving and love, I feel it's difficult to love others well if you don't know who you are in God. And, and, and here's the thing. Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? You know, I, I, have, I, have, I have grabbed the wrong hand before. It wasn't my wife. You know, you know, you're just doing stuff quick. You just, oh, I thought she was, I'm sorry. It was a, I don't know what the Tennessee Titans name was uh, that had the last name Lowe. What was his name? His first name. A couple years ago. And I would go out and everybody thought I was him. Because I'm handsome and strong. I know, I'm, forgive me, Jesus. That was vain. Oh, that was vain. I learned that discipleship from Pastor Bruce. That's my discipler. He taught me to praise myself. <laughs> okay. And, and, and so he would, they would come up to me and, and say, are you here? I would, I would say no, and they would say, yes, you are. And they would ask for the, my autograph, and I'd give it to them. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to have someone else's identity. During the holiday time, there'll be moments in my own life and possibly in your life when you interact with all your old family members and friends. And, and what is one of the things we do in our families? We begin to recall and remember who we formerly were. And they start using your nickname. Remember your old nickname? The one that really should bring shame, but inside you, yeah, I was, a I was oh yeah, I was, oh yeah, uh, uh. And we get into it. You know, my nickname was Maniac. I know, it's hard to believe. I know, I know, Barry Lee, it's hard to believe. And something happens when you just try, you, you, you begin when you, when you, when you, when you, have, you are duplicitous, you, 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 you take on the dual identities. You become all right with it. Had a woman... Uh, not a woman, well, we, yeah, she was a woman. We, were, we went to school together, and her younger sister uh, came up to me one day after church when I was in Detroit. This was over 30 years ago, but it still makes me feel the same way, uh, this story. And she came to me, she said, she said, Pastor James, I said, hi. She said, I got your, vid your video yearbook uh, from my sister. I was looking at it. She said, and you did not look like the guy I know. You were doing horrible things. <laughs> I said, do you still have that video? How many things of your old life do you like to really get rid of? Or how many things in your old life do you like to keep close enough to temporarily enjoy and put back in a safe place? Today's... Um, text is going to provide tension and relief at the same time. 
I cannot get you out of the tension that the text is going to give you. I cannot get you out of, out of how you are being identified through your own convictions by the text. I can't get away from it. I have to teach it like it is. But I equally don't want you to get rid of the relief that comes when you hear Jesus' narrative or solution for your and my, and my lack of identity or being in an identity, an identity crisis. Let's begin. Here's, here's the thing, because Mariah's going to come back at the end and God's going to use her, this message today, to change life. I, I, I know it is. And maybe if you look back over the last year of your life and you do, give it a name, give it the last year, give it the last month, the week, the day, give it a name. Is it son of God? Is it Christ's follower? Is it redeemer of the Lord? Is it preacher of the gospel, minister of the gospel? Or is it something confusing? Because I've been identified. I, I can, I, I'll say it. You know, somebody came up to me, Pastor Bruce, and they started preaching the gospel hard to me. And I wanted to tell them, don't they know who I am? And I thought sometimes... Your old nature precedes your new one, and people can't fully see who you are. But no matter where you're at today, no matter where you're at today, no matter where you're at, there is an answer. There is a tension that is created, yes. There's a pain that is created when we see the mirror of where we are as a society, as a church, as a people, as a person. However, there is an answer, and it always comes down to a choice. Let's go to um, Ephesians Y'all want to read it together? Y'all want to just start teaching? All right. First, first answer I got, I'm going to just teach. All right. So here it is. Paul is about to start speaking to a young church about their life and their behaviors. Now, I want you to pick up his tone from the very beginning. Ephesians 4, 17. Here you go. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking or their minds. I insist. I testify. I act as if I'm God giving you a truth that you cannot avoid. I'm speaking as one with authority and I'm telling you there's some things in your life that must change now. He is not speaking to non-believers. He is speaking to believers and he's going to start dealing with behaviors of believers that are synonymous with the Gentiles, which I'll explain who they are in a minute, and he and doesn't want this to be. In fact, to start this chapter out, verse four, I mean, verse four, verse one says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you've been given. There's a way we walk in Christ that's like him and not like them. He doesn't want us to walk like them. They want us to walk and talk like him. But how is it that our identity is getting confused? 
And to the point that Paul spends three chapters telling them of the grace and the mercy and the inheritance and the awesomeness of God. And he's trying to get them just to remember. Like communion today, when Rachel said, you need to remember. We need to remember something about God because it's our inability to remember what he said and who we are and what he's doing that's causing us to get more caught up in the cultural context of the day. He said, I insist. You know, I hate to bother you, but since I'm up here bothering you anyway, Paul's getting a pass from you that I don't always feel I get. How come Paul can tell you something like, I insist, and y'all perked up like, what does Paul want to say? Isn't it amazing that we don't want another adult person to tell us what to do? Don't insist on nothing. Now, Paul, I'll receive the narrative of grace you gave me over the last three chapters about the grace of God. I am a friend of God. I have an inheritance with God. I received that, Paul. Now, don't start talking about how I live because I'm a free moral agent. I got choices. We come in and listen to the preacher. Not out of his God-given authority, which... Verse, I mean, chapter four talks about just proceeding. It talks about what the role of the pastor, the apostles, and the prophets, and all of that. It's not based on, on, on that. Paul is speaking from a position of authority, but we don't want people like myself to speak with authority because we take the grace, but not the responsibility of the living. Does God only have the right to talk about what he's giving you and not how he wants you to live it out? Don't live in the futility of the world, in the worthlessness. It's the nothingness of their thinking. So we can already see that Paul telling you not to be like them is a way of thinking. And the way you think is the way you eventually behave. As a man continuously thinks in his heart, so is he. What is going through your imagination? Do you imagine yourself in, in your, the fantasy of your mind doing all of the things that are like him or doing all the things that are like them? And he goes on to say, he said in the verse, he said, they were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life that was in God because of their ignorance that was into them due to the hardness of their hearts. Sometimes we want to accuse God, but basically these are people who are separated and darkened in their heart because they refuse to hear God. Again, he's talking about Gentile people and he's talking about the Ephesians looking like and acting like the Gentiles act, okay, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. How do they act? Let's just, let's see, because y'all got all side. Because when, you know, when you teach a message like this, sometimes we listen with our antennas. We don't, you know, where is it going? It's going right where you think it is. Yes, it's coming right there to our house. Ephesians 2, what were you like and what was I like? 
This is what he was telling them before, but we don't always hear this part of the message. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air and the spirit that now works in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, uh, the, the desires and, our, and our thoughts. You see, when you are living like a Gentile, the Bible says Gentiles live godless. They live separated. They live without his word. They live without his salvation. They live without his mercy. They live without his redemption. And, 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 they're, and, they're, and they're futile and they become dark in their thinking. And, and they, they, they become hardened in their heart. You remember when the Bible says um, that uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a moment when you can just get so stubborn willfully that you enter into a reprobate state. You know, the, 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 these, these Gentiles turned off from God. You know, the, the, I was saying that John the Baptist came uh, uh, neither eating nor drinking. Jesus, and they called him a, a devil. Jesus came hanging out with tax collectors and, and sinners, and they're and they saying he, he hanging out with the wrong crowd. In other words, there are Gentile people or non-believing people are never going to praise your believing effort. It is an adversarial relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not the objects of God's affection. It doesn't mean that they're not being reached out to. This means there's a way of living that's opposite. And after your heart becomes darkened, he says this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves to sensuality or uh, lasciviousness, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Man, it's the worst thing in the world when you live in a place where you no longer feel. You lost all sensitivity. When we live like them, we don't live sensitive. Our hearts aren't moved anymore. Society doesn't move us. Need doesn't move us. Nothing moves us. We've lost the ability to be convicted. In other words, we feel very comfortable being in our sin. And when he talks about, um, you know, the first thing he talks about is, as, as lasciviousness or as this scripture uh, calls it, sensuality. All three of these sins, lasciviousness, uncleanness, and, and, and greed have a sexual connotation to them. Not exclusive, but mostly. And why, why would he be doing this? And you, I just want to hear me. This group at Ephesus was living in a worse community or society that we live in now is the way I look at it. I mean, they were serving the god Artemis and Diana. It was very powerful. But you got to understand, this type of worship was uh, sexual in nature. They would just get themselves worked up into a, 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 a frenzy, and then anything you wanted to do goes. See, when you're locked into lascivious thinking, it's not just a private thought. It's not just some exclusivity in your mind. This is how I feel. This is how 
I think, this is what I do. You begin to make how you feel public and being lewd or rude or lustful doesn't seem to bother you. It's like you ever, you see, just like on TV and commercials, we don't want our kids to see you see people gyrating or people doing something that is sensual and they're doing it out in the open and you're thinking, shouldn't, that is shameful. They, they have lost the sensitivity to know what is shameful what should be private, what should be public, what should be limited. Lasciviousness is living life without limits. You know, the first thing, you, you got to understand, you are mostly Americans in here. And when you're American, the first thing we claim is our right. Right to do what? Whatever we want to do. Even if we don't want to do it, we want our right to do whatever we want to do. And sometimes it's hard, even in church, to hear a message that Jesus had a standard that was different than the standard of the Ephesus group. And that Jesus' group of new believers, this young little church was in this sea of people worshiping how they want, living lasciviously, without boundaries, without restrictions, and living out loud and making their way matter more than any other way. We were very lustful. Ah, Siri, get saved. Get saved, Siri. I'm going to call Apple and say, we need a save series. (laughs) There are the boundaries. Here's, why why is this message important to send to the Ephesians? Why is it important in church to say something? Paul said, I insist that you be not be like them. He had told them about the grace because sometimes the grace is used as an occasion to sin. Sometimes. And I'm saying sometimes you can feel so free in God that anything goes and you think that your God is without standard. And he's not without standard. Just because he's giving you freedom, just because he says all things are lawful, they're not all beneficial, they're all good. You need restrictions, you need boundaries. He says they, the uncleanness means they have turned this in Ephesus, they've turning sin into a business. Have you ever seen this in your society? Do you know the pornography business? It's even hard to say the word in church. Might as well say it because it's a struggle within the church. But you, you know that business is bigger than the movie business and the music business combined? Because people want to live life without restrictions and one sign that a society is going on when it wants to merchandise unrestricted sin. I can do what I won't do. No matter how much in society it says that you can do what you want to do, that's being like them and not like him. What is he trying to tell them? Your identity is off. I can't tell who you are. I know you're with me. You've accepted me. You love me. But like Mariah was saying, there's a time in your life when somebody else has to come in and say, but why are you still feeling shame? Where's the guilt? What is that? What's going on? They need that help. but I love this transitional verse. This is a transitional verse, Bruce. I love this. Look at verse 20. 
That, however, is not the way of life you learned. We didn't learn how to live like them. We didn't learn, do whatever you want. Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ. And when I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. Last I checked, he lived in this world without sin, but he was tempted in every way that we were. He's the bread of heaven. He's the living water. Christ. You didn't learn this way from him. There is no Christian teaching that says, do as thou wilt. You know what that is? That is the first commandment of the church of Satan. You know, serious. Do what thou wilt. Now, none of us will go to his church. But, but, oh, but, just, just, but, but if I made it about me, but man, I just don't like when somebody, even the Bible, got to go too far giving me restrictions. That's why people like me don't lose weight. I'm doing all I can to cover my stomach up. Every Sunday, I don't know what I'm going to wear. It's the truth. Because I want to live life without restrictions. I am living life without restrictions. And when Mariah calls us to repent, I'm going to have to repent for living my life without restrictions. Because that's how the Gentiles live. Now, watch this. He says, verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with truth, that is in Jesus. Hey, hey, hoo, hoo, hoo. glory to God. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. In him is light and life and no darkness at all. You can't find life without the life giver. You're not going to find it in any other lifestyle or any other activity except Christ. For Christ I live and for Christ I die because he's the only thing, only person worth your life. You are not taught to do anything but believe in him, receive him, accept him, to know him. Uh, let me, let me. It's too many good scriptures without glasses to read. Y'all going to have to read this next one. Put uh, Ephesians, uh, let's just skip for time to two. Start at the fourth verse. You know, you've been taught about him. You've been taught redemption. He redeemed you and me. He paid the price for you and me. He forgives you. He loves you. He gives you the Holy Spirit, the guarantee, the earnestness, the seal, the down payment. Behold, I give unto you eternal life. Neither shall you perish. Neither shall any man pluck you from my hand. My Father is greater than all, and no man can pluck you from his hand. He's given you an ear to hear him. 
He's giving you a heart to obey him. He's giving you to know, to work in you the will and to do of his good pleasure. What, what do you learn about Christ? That, that, that all things are possible for him that believe. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place. He's just done so much. You learn that he's good. He's good all the time. That he, he is great. He's worthy of the praise. That he is benevolent and he is life-giving. And he is sacrificial. Those things you've learned about him, they give you joy. And yet, the job of the devil is to blind your mind lest you see. The Bible says, in, okay, read that for me because I can't see it. Okay, one, two, three, read. Got it. For by grace you've been saved. This is good news. Through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works. So no one can boast. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. You are not futile in your thinking. You are not uh, uh, worthless. You, you, are, you are working toward Christ-given purposes. Your life is worth living. Depression should not have a grip on us. But when you live a futile life, you become darkened and insensitive. And you need something to help you move away from that life and take the new life. In fact, here's what the final part of the scripture says we should do. Remember I said there's tension, but there's relief for the tension, and it's Christ. But it comes down to a personal decision we make. Will you make a decision? Will you make a decision today, or will other people, your wanting to give them a false identity, hold you up? Or will you... Accept your identity in Christ. Here, back to our main text, verse 20. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupt by its deceitful desires. I'm not going back this holiday season to Detroit, go to my old stomping grounds, start doing all the stuff I loved when I was in sin. Oh, but I feel the temptation not to maybe do the sin, but just celebrate some of the old ways. We at least have fun. Sin is pleasurable for a season. It was a good time. Got a great cause. Put off the corrupt man. He said, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your mind is still your choice. And put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, my problem is, Pastor Bruce, oh, my problem is I have found that sometimes I just don't want to be like God. Because here's the thing. He's right all the time. Not some of the time. He doesn't turn it off on the weekend. 
He doesn't turn it off on Friday night and Saturday night. He doesn't turn it off when you're watching TV at midnight. He doesn't turn it off when you're alone with your phone. He doesn't turn it off when your spouse is going out of town and you're just alone and you want to get comfort and you just call somebody else that can give you comfort. He doesn't turn it off when you when you feel like you want to get into your identity, which is a world identity, which tells you you can be with who you want to be, even if they're the same gender, even if they're the same sex. You can be with somebody even if you're married. You can have multiple relationships. You can just sleep around and just live with whoever you want to. That is a Gentile lifestyle. Don't do it like that. Don't live that way. Don't listen to society. Don't just let them define you. You're not defined by them. You're defined by him. Him. Take off them old clothes. Take off that old way of thinking. Take off your old lifestyle. Put on Christ who is righteous, good, holy, fair, just, praiseworthy, full of good fruits. He's joy unspeakable. He's life everlasting. If you want to feel real good, just really just grab on to Christ and say all of your goodness, let it be on me, God. Stand to your feet. You come to it. Come with me, Mariah. Give me, give me that mic. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy right now to apply everything to someone else. Sometimes it's believers. And I'm going to let Mariah maybe call you because we both, once we pray, we're going to stand here. We're going to meet you. Because when God was giving me this message, he showed me someone wanting to come out of darkness into light. Call him, Mariah. I'm going to go stand down front. Pastor James is preaching out of Ephesians, and verse 17 says, They refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. And that word reality sticks out. And I think that we've got, we, sometimes we get so caught up that we lose touch with reality. And what reality is, is that we, rec- we were created by God. And he sent his son to die for us. That is reality. It's not anything that we have done, nothing good that we've done and nothing bad that we've done. But the reality is what Christ has done for us. And I so desperately, so desperately believe that. And I wanna pray for those of you that if on the outside, everything might be good, but on the inside, there's an emptiness and there's a darkness. Jesus is calling you And Jesus is calling you today because he wants to fill that emptiness inside of you. That's not a cute thing that we say, that's a reality. That's the truth. And you know it because deep down he has placed that in your heart. So as I pray, I would just ask that if that truth, if you want that truth, if that is becoming a reality to you, if if you could come down to the stage, and it's not walking down here that is your salvation, but it's that conversation that you're having right now with Jesus in your head, that truth that he is speaking to you, those answers that he is clearing up, and that comfort 
that he is providing in your soul right now. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.